Sponsors. Our company is so proud and excited to sponsor the Bible Live. As a businessman, I have to make decisions every day about how to best invest time, personnel, and resources for the best return and results. The scriptures say there are two things on earth that will last forever, God's Word and the souls of people. It's my hope that you, your family, your church, and perhaps even your business will pray about giving a tax-deductible donation to the Bible Live at this time. Together, let's expand this historic broadcast of the scriptures to other cities across our nation, a sound investment for both time and eternity. You can donate by credit card at the Bible Live website www.thebiblelive.com or mail your check for the Bible Live to P.O. Box 18888. That's P.O. Box 18888, San Antonio, Texas 78218. Welcome to the Bible Live Quiz Hour. It's time to test and grow your knowledge of the Bible. The entire Bible every year. On Sunday nights at 9, join us here for the Bible Live Quiz Hour. Sophie will ask questions from the Bible Live leads. You call in with the correct answers, and you win. It's just that simple. So get out your Bible, put on your thinking cap, and hit that speed dial. Because here's the host of the Bible Live. Your Apache Indian scout through the book of books, Sophie Dollar. looking through the podcast for this last week to make sure that we're up there. We haven't successfully found them yet, but um, you can... Hi, everyone. <laughs> By the way, this is the Soapster. Glad to be with you this evening on a Easter Sunday evening. Uh, happy Easter. Wonderful. Hope you had a wonderful Resurrection Sunday. Um, you know, it's probably one of the most unusual Resurrection Sundays we have ever had. <laughs> with the nation kind of in lockdown and the quarantine and all of this sort of thing with the virus. But uh, everyone attending their worship services by uh, live streaming the services. And uh, it, it is such an amazing thing uh, to to live through. Our, our, our children will probably hopefully be old enough. Now, my grandson... Maybe a little young. I don't know if he'll remember uh, when he's older. I don't know if he'll remember back when he was six years old what happened. Uh, but he sure is enjoying it. He loves it. <laughs> he, uh, well, I'll say enjoying it. Um, ah, he enjoys life, everything at, at his age. But we, we, I thought we broke the rules today, John, but we didn't. There, there were just seven of us. So I guess we were within the rules of no meeting more than 10 people is the idea that's uh, that's the number i heard yeah uh, and i and i think that's right uh, but I, we we got together we got together for a lunch a late late lunch about 3 in the afternoon with the great meal that the daughter fixed and the boys got together my sons and uh, every we just enjoyed it, uh, just a couple hours being together talking laughing praying and um, celebrating the birth, the, the birth, the death and resurrection of Jesus, our Savior, and uh, what a wonderful time that was for us. Uh, how about you, folks? What what happened today? What, how did you experience this Resurrection Sunday? Your experience must have been, uh, I'm sure, quite interesting. Uh, all of us. Uh, did you get together? Did you do 
something together as a family? Um, did you uh, worship via the internet, you know, live streaming and that sort of thing? Uh, I, I know my daughter was mentioning to, earlier to this morning, very early, we were talking about which service we wanted to all stream and, and attend together. And when you when you go to the internet. And you get to pick from all of these different churches all over the world that you might like to go and attend. It's kind of interesting to um, to be able to do this. I, I have a feeling after this is all over, uh, well, I don't know that it will be all over ever, really, to tell you the truth. That's, I guess that's what I was trying to get around to saying, uh, that this may have permanently changed the world in some ways, this experience. Um, I know a lot of churches were forced into onto the internet because of this they can't get together with their congregation and so a lot of them had kind of been holding back because well I don't know how to do that we don't have the resources we don't know how to live stream our our worship service and so on and um so many who weren't doing that before have now learned how to do it and have been forced to do it by this situation and so I, I suspect that this is this experience is going to permanently alter our society. Uh, not not to speak of the world that's far bigger than any of us can even contemplate. But uh, I was thinking about my adopted country of Spain, where we lived uh, for almost a decade, and and our children were born there, and so on. Uh, I'm sure that Spain has been transformed in some way in other countries uh, of course around the world but right here in our own country i wonder if this is going to result in some permanent changes in the way we function uh, i i doubt we'll be on this kind of emergency status a pandemic um, status uh, forever but some of the, the you know the this kind of fear of this kind of uh the fear and the being careful about um transmitting germs and how we cough will we ever shake hands again will that return to be a a norm uh, shaking hands or will we bump elbows forever <laughs> maybe we'll shake feet since we were since we were shoes, maybe we'll come up with a whole different thing. That'll be very, very interesting. <laughs> yeah. Bow and knock heads. <laughs> All right. Well, what do you think, folks? You can give us a call if you'd like. This is the Bible Live uh, here on Sunday evenings. We make our way. Uh, through the entire Bible every year, from Genesis all the way to the book of Re- Revelation. Uh, just this past week, uh, uh, perfectly in line with our, our plan and our, and our reading program, we have finished the book of the Gospel of John this past week, which is kind of like uh, kind of way we set it up in our reading, reading schedule so that at the, at the big major holidays of the year, we're reading passages of Scripture that are, that are relevant to that particular holiday. And so here we are celebrating Passover, celebrating the resurrection of Jesus, uh, the Messiah from the dead, and we're reading the Gospel of John. We read chapters 10 through 21, so we, we read about the resurrection uh, and, and the, uh, 
the time that Jesus spends, the 40 days that he spends with his disciples after he raises, he is risen from the dead uh, and in his ascension. So we've uh, covered all of that. It, and as I was trying to look into just before we went on the air, uh, our podcasts are now going to be, uh, and I, I was just checking to see if they're there yet, on the um, KSLR, the radio um, the radio uh, website here, it's called uh, am630theword.com, am630theword.com. If you go there and then you click up on the, uh, the menu option, podcast, go down to the Bible Live. There'll be two of them. One of them is the Bible Live, the reading program, where you can listen to uh, all the Bible readings uh, through through the Bible. In other words, this past week, uh, every Monday, Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, uh, there was a Bible reading of a fifteen to twenty minute reading from the Scriptures, the New Living Translation, and just gives you a chance to hear the Bible. So, if you go to those, uh, you can look them up by date. Uh, this you know this first week of April, or you can uh, look for them. I guess. Well, the date would be the only way to look at them, but then it's John chapter 10 through 21 this past week. So you can find those readings. There'll be five of them, and you can listen. Uh, and uh, if you once you're caught up every day, if you'd like, you can go uh, on Monday this tomorrow. You can go to the reading. The reading schedule is also posted there on the website. You can find out what is the reading schedule. And uh, we went from John chapter 10 through 21, but we finished the Gospel of John on Thursday, and on Friday, our Bible reading, we went back to the Tanakh, back to the Hebrew Scriptures, the Old Testament, and picked up in uh, where we had left off. We read First and Second Samuel, and now we are going to start with the book of first, books of First and Second Kings. And we did read our first reading from the book of First Kings, chapter 1 through chapter 3. So uh, you can find all of those readings uh, there. Uh, and once you get caught up, you can just every day listen to a 15 to 20 minute Bible reading. And every year, every year you will make your way through the entire Bible uh, every year that goes by. So, And here on Sunday nights then, we uh, get together, we talk about those chapters, we talk about those verses, those passages. Uh, I ask you some questions about them. And by the way, the questions are posted as well uh, uh, on the website. So you can go and find this information and, and uh, just follow along. Let's get a community of us together uh, here uh, across the nation, around the world, folks that are making their way through the Bible every year, listening to the reading of the scriptures. And then uh, on Sunday evenings, we'll ask questions. You can call in your answers. You can call in with some comments, with some uh, your perspective, what a passage meant to you, what this meant to you, or that passage or this verse, and we can gather around the scriptures. The Bible live. That's what it's all about. And I do want to mention one other thing, that you can go to thebiblelive.com, or just BibleLive.com. Uh, either one will get you there. SoapyDollar.com will get you there for, them, for that matter. And you can go to our, our ministry and our, our ministry website for the broadcast, TheBibleLive.com, and you'll find the same thing. You'll find all of the readings will be uh, podcasted there. You can find the ones for this past week. 
you can listen to them, each and every one. And again, from that, you can join us there. There'll be articles that I'll write about the different books, about the different passages. There'll be a place where you can ask questions, uh, give comments, and uh, we'll have a, 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 a a vlog, a video log there as well, uh, from week to week, and so you can uh, we can just stay in touch as we make as a community of people making our way through the Bible every year. So I hope that you might be might consider it. I think you'll enjoy it. Won't take long. You've got your cell phones now that we can easily connect with the podcast, and uh, you can hear the reading in your car on the way to work or on the way to the market or wherever you might be. Uh, during the week, you can hear we can listen to the scriptures together, and then of course on the weekends get together to talk about them uh, as well. So that's what we're about tonight. Our phone number is two ten three four zero ninety five eighty five two ten three four zero nine five eight five. You can give us a call uh, from anywhere you're listening to this broadcast, um, as it is. Uh, of course, you could be listening from anywhere uh, via computers, uh, folks coming in and logging in to KSLR so that they can hear the live broadcast as well. So uh, hopefully we'll be more and more and more of us over these uh, months and years that come. And we can build a great community of folks making our way through the Bible right here out of San Antonio, South Texas. So that would be uh, a tremendous blessing. Well, like I said, we read this week. Uh, Psalm 67, and we read Proverbs 10 and 11, and we read the Gospel of John, chapters 10 through 21. That was our focus, although we did, too, go back on Friday, and our reading was the first three chapters of the book of First Kings. So we'll go back and pick up now where we left off with uh, uh, in the reign of King David after King Saul, the first king of Israel. His 40 years, and then we came to David uh, after being pursued and persecuted for all that time, 25 years. He finally comes to the throne of Israel, and uh, we are now reading about his reign, the golden age, really, of the nation of Israel, and how they, uh, this is the, the era, the greatest era of their power, their influence uh, as a nation there in the Middle East. And, of course, spiritually a very powerful and positive force as they stood for the, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, the true and living God, and had a great influence in that era. Then after David's uh, death, of course, Solomon, his son uh, by Bathsheba, the, he comes to the throne and begins his reign, in, which is also very powerful, but there is a downward uh, trend to it. Uh, so that at the end of his reign, we'll see the kingdom actually divides the tribes of the north, the ten tribes of the north, split off. They have a civil, uh, a civil separation, a civil war type separation, and the tribes of the north, ten tribes of Israel, and the tribes of Judah in the south, Judah and Benjamin, and uh, they the kingdom divides following the reign of Solomon. And uh, I won't ask the question now, but uh, it would be a good question later on. Why did Israel divide? Why did the kingdom divide? Uh, You'll find out it's a very, very, very political reason, actually. Of course, all of these things have spiritual foundations. 
but the, frankly, it divided evidently over taxation was a big was the um, that was the issue that drove ultimately to the decision for the tribes to break away uh, too too high a taxation. Uh, so we can we'll talk about that when the time comes to get to that as well. But right now tonight we're looking at the Gospel of John. We're looking at. Resurrection Sunday, so we're going to talk a little bit about the resurrection of Jesus of Nazareth. So if you have a thought about that, maybe you had an experience of worship today with your congregation, maybe there was something you heard or a new perspective or a thought you've had about why is that important? Uh, Why is the resurrection important? What does it mean to you? I would like to hear uh, some of you call in tonight and just tell me what what does the resurrection of Jesus mean to you? Now we're um, the gospel of Jesus Christ rests on m- many uh, different factors. Uh, classically, we wonder, okay, why why do we believe that Jesus of Nazareth? Uh, the object of the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, uh, telling about his life, his ministry, his death, his resurrection. Why is it, why do you believe that that person, that human being, was indeed the Messiah, uh, the long-promised, awaited Messiah, and the Son of God, God himself, the God incarnate, who took on flesh for a purpose of carrying out a redemptive plan, a plan by which uh, human beings could be reconciled and could be restored to a relationship, an eternal relationship with a creator, the creator God of the universe. Uh, I mean, we're talking about things that are way, 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 way important. Uh, I mean, these these are issues that have internal, eternal consequences, both for us as individuals, for the entire human race, and of course they have they have temporal consequences. They they make a difference in the way we should be living our lives right here on planet Earth, the way we should behave, the way we should treat each other, uh, and so on. So this this is a huge, huge question. Uh, why do we believe? that Jesus, this Jesus of Nazareth, uh, why do we believe this person, this individual, was and is the Son of God, the Messiah, the Redeemer? Now, classically, uh, the the classical answer has to do with, and I'm just talking about Jesus now, the Jesus of Nazareth. Uh, the classic answer to that question is, one, the prophecies. Uh, over 300 predictions in the Old Testament, in the in the Hebrew Scriptures, about a Messiah, a Savior, or a Redeemer um, that would come. There were titles given. There were um, there were details of his life, where he'd be born, what he would be like, what would be his ancestry. You know, his his uh, uh, ancestral descendants, and so on before him and all through through uh, the old testament and then how that would lead he would be of the of the uh, dynasty of the what what am i trying to say the descendancy of david he'd be a descendant of king david for example 
of Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, and so on. And so uh, all of the, these details, a number, great number of details. But then those are just the verbal, the, oral, the, the actual written predictions. There are also all kinds of predictions uh, uh, embedded into the Hebrew uh, historical experience. The, the passage is about the Passover, about coming out of Egypt, about the lamb that was you know, the, the, the Passover lamb. Um, all of those are, are, they are predictions, uh, dramatized predictions of God's redemptive plan. All of the, all of the uh, sacrifices, every lamb, every bull, every goat uh, that was sacrificed uh, on the altar of, of the tabernacle and later on the temple, all of those were a picture of the the price and the seriousness of sin, but also they they were you know of course no one is forgiven by God by killing a goat or a lamb that in other words it wasn't the, something inherent in the lamb or the goat but this was a this was a a, a vision of the redemptive plan in that someday there would be a definitive sacrifice made for the atonement of sins without the shedding of blood there is no remission of sin. The life is in the blood. Uh, and we, we were told that clearly throughout the Hebrew Scriptures. And of course you look at Isaiah chapter 53 and others where there is, there is, a, there is predicted this one who would suffer uh, this king, this Messiah, but he would also be a suffering servant and he would take upon himself the sins of, um, of God's people. And uh, it says, you know, by his stripes we would be be healed, and so you not only have the verbal predictions where it actually says the Messiah will be like this, will do this; these would be the characteristics of his life and ministry, but you have all of these uh, kind of dramatized uh, and embedded predictions from the temple, from the tabernacle, from the worship system, from the priesthood, uh, and so on. All of these predictions pointing forward. To this, this Messiah, this Redeemer, this Savior of the world, and of course, the New Testament identifies. And and as you read the New Testament Gospels, as you read the uh, the epistles, uh, Peter and Paul, John, others that wrote epistles in uh, the New Testament, they too point to those passages. So, the prophecies would be one reason we believe Jesus was. And is the Son of God incarnate? Secondly, would be his very life, the nature of his life, uh, what he was like, uh, is. Uh, I don't know how many of us think we could get away with claiming to be God. Now, I don't get me wrong i am aware that there were people there were many other people back earlier than jesus and during the time of jesus and through the ages there have been people who surfaced uh individuals who claimed to be the messiah they claimed to be uh, the messiah even in the in the times of jesus they were false prophets false preachers and false messiahs <coughs> so and even in our times john did you know there are people that there, there are people even there, uh, you can find them every now and then on the internet. There, I think over in Miami, over in Florida, there was some years ago. There's some some fellow who claims to be uh, the Messiah. The, uh, um, and through through my lifetime, I guess I've heard of different. Yeah, 
yeah, drinking a little bit too much, perhaps. Yes, but th- that it happens, you know. But so the point is, I'm, I'm trying to say is Jesus actually claimed very clearly to be the Messiah, the Savior, the Son of God, and uh, he was actually taken seriously. Not some disputed, some uh, some argued against, some rejected him in that role. There's no doubt about it, and it's clearly there presented the dynamic in the in the uh, New Testament times. Uh, in fact, is uh, uh, seen very clearly one of the reasons, at least one, if not the principal and main reason, that he was put to death was because he claimed to be the Son of God, the King of the Jews, the Messiah. Uh, I don't think there can be much doubt about that. Uh, so his claim was very, very clear. Some people through 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 the centuries, some people have uh, tried to say, well, Jesus himself never claimed to be God. This was just – it was just something his followers did, uh, the, the disciples after his death. And we're going to talk about them tonight, what happened to the, to the disciples after his death. But some say, well, Jesus never claimed to be God the Messiah. And yet it is very, very clear, uh, even in the Gospel of John, if we look at it, there, there are numbers of ways Jesus very clearly claimed to be the Messiah. He claimed to be uh, the Son of God. He, he made the argument clearly that the Messiah indeed was God incarnate, the Son of God incarnate. Uh, and he, he makes that very, very clear. And, and of course, his audience, in each case, understood what he said. Most often, uh, when he talked about these and made these kind of claims, people would grab for rocks to to stone him to death because that was the the uh, punishment for blasphemy, for because you have claimed to be God. So they knew very clearly what he was saying. I don't know. I don't know how it is that some people can say that Jesus never claimed to be God, but he claimed very clearly that he was. The Messiah, the Savior, the Redeemer, the the Son of God, and uh, he did it in, in actually three ways. It's much like I said about the Old Testament, the verbal prophecies and then the the symbolic or uh, or uh, the you know, the dramatized claim, the, uh, prophecies. We also see that Jesus directly claimed to be the Son of God, but also there were. Um, there were times when he claimed to be God, but sort of in a in a backhanded sort of way. He claimed an initiative or an prerogative that only could, could belong to God, and he claimed to have that right in, in there. And finally, he there were theatrical claims. He did things that only God could do. So we'll talk about it when we come back. We're looking at the ideas as why Jesus was considered to be in his claims. What do his claims rest on that he was indeed this long-awaited Redeemer, Savior, Messiah, the key to humanity's reconciliation with the Creator Himself. We'll come back and talk about it. You can give us a call as well, 210-340-9585. The Bible Live. We'll be right back. Don't go away.
listening to the Bible Live with Soapy Dollar. Dr. Stan Shelton with offices at Loop 410 and Broadway has taken care of the Dollar family that's Suzanne and me plus our three children for the past 25 years. Suzanne, tell the folks about our dentist. Well, like you say, Dr. Shelton is a dentist for a lifetime. He's got the latest technology. He's busy, but I've never had to wait. And I never dread going to the dentist. In fact, he and his staff are so personable that I actually rather enjoy it. Go to DrShelton.com or call 590-7878. Hail the festival day, blessed day to be hallowed forever. Day when our Lord was raised, breaking the kingdom of death. All the fair beauty of earth, from the death of the winter arising. Every good gift of the year, now with its master returns. You're listening to The Bible Live with Soapy Dollar. Blessed day to be hallowed forever, day when our Lord was raised, breaking the kingdom of death. All right, we are back. A uh, little gift there from John, our board operator. He, uh, I think our, our liturgical believers will recognize that particular hymn referencing the resurrection of Jesus at this uh, time of the year. We are back. This is uh, The Bible Live, 210-340-9585. That's our phone number, 210-340-9585. You can call in and give us a thought. I'd love to hear from you. Maybe you have some thoughts or a question or insight about our Bible readings. We are looking at John chapters 10 through 21, essentially the Gospel of John. Um, in this program, and we've made our way into the book of First Kings as well in our reading schedule, but we'll kind of focus on that probably a little bit more um, uh, more clearly and more specifically next week's program. Right now, since this is Easter Sunday, let's focus on this New Testament book, the Gospel of John, and uh, about this, this event when a, a man you know, raises... From the dead, I mean, you know, it is interesting. This whole sometimes I think we spiritualize and uh, make it a, a matter of religion. The idea, but the the whole idea is based upon the a man came out of the grave. You know, now most of us. As adults, we've attended at least a funeral or two. We know, we know about men and women dying. It's a reality. We've been. We know. It just doesn't happen. And and here is this uh, around the world today: millions and millions celebrating this idea, this fact, this event. That one particular human being, in, in, one in particular, this Jesus of Nazareth, that he was killed, actually professionally executed, pro- proclaimed dead by two professional executioners, that he was actually killed, buried, wrapped in burial clothes and buried in a tomb 
and then came out, lived, he, he came back from the dead. He said he was going to do it before he died. He said he was going to do it. The, the Old Testament, we're talking about these prophecies that were fulfilled. That was one of them, that the, this Messiah, this Savior, this Redeemer that was predicted in the Hebrew Scriptures, the Old Testament, that his body would not rot in the grave, that it would not corrupt in the graves. It was predicted that he would be, have an eternal reign. Um, very interesting, and of course that's that's part of it. But we were reviewing these ideas that why do we think? Why is it thought that Jesus was indeed uh, the Son of God, the Messiah, the Savior? Now, now some people want to have a uh, want to have a Christianity without Jesus. All we, you know, all it is is just a bunch of social. Mores. It's just a bunch of rituals, kind of like uh, the the Easter Bunny or Santa Claus, and just a bunch of things and legends and things we think you know may have. But and we've got a nice little religious club. We all like each other. We treat each other nice. We follow the golden rule, and it's like sometimes I think um, the secular world has co-opted the biblical mora- morality. They've co-opted. The idea of treating each other nicely and, and generosity and uh, being good people, honest, telling the truth, and so on. Uh, we take those as values. But, but frankly, if, if you do away with God, you take away the idea of, of a God who is a, God, a holy God who requires and demands right behavior and righteousness and fairness and goodness. Uh, there is really, there is no teeth to the idea of morality. Uh, in other words, uh, Suzanne and I, my wife and I were talking about this this week, about the idea of of humanism. Uh, There's just a whole bunch of isms that have kind of come along, humanism and feminism and and so on. I, I, I was remembering... Uh, Tony Evans, a wonderful preacher from the Dallas area, remember him announcing one time that we have to keep on telling people about Jesus and telling people the gospel about the gospel until all of those till all of those isms become wasms. <laughs> so it's it kind of stays in my mind that kind of a saying. But the idea is that um, sometimes there is a kind of a, a humanism or an idea that we can have all these values, we can have all this thing of love and kindness and generosity and being, uh, and you can have that and enforce that, but but really you don't have, there doesn't, doesn't have to be a God involved and so on. Yeah, and you can, and, and I guess that's what I was trying to say, is I, I think sometimes the secular uh, world, uh, the world without God has, in some level, co-opted the values and co-opted some of the truth that would be relevant and true under, if there is a good and gracious God, a loving God, but a holy God, then, of course, morality has teeth uh, because it is God himself who demands that and it holds us accountable for living as we ought and to making right choices, to choose him, to worship him, uh, to choose to to know Him and acknowledge God and and, and um, s- submit our lives to Him, that that would be the the 
that would be a logical, reasonable thing to do if indeed uh, there is a true and living God, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, the God of the Bible. Uh, but if, if there is no God, if there is no creator, if we just crawled up out of the slime and somehow we just sort of appeared uh, and and we're like the animals when we die, we, we're dead and gone, that's it, there, there is no more. Uh, the idea of why we should be good, why we should be kind and gentle and loving and honest and generous and all these uh, these values of morality, uh, it it becomes questionable. Uh, it, if someone finds those useful in order to control a population, to control people, uh, or thinks that they, that's the best, happiest way to live, that's fine, but it doesn't have any teeth. It doesn't have any real... It, it, there is no real reason that anyone else has to do that. Um, it's just your choice over my choice. Uh, but as I'm saying, often the, the the secular world has co-opted and takes upon that they find convenient the rules of of morality and of civility, uh, and so we take those on just because it seems to make for a better. Uh, society, a happier existence, and so on. But there could come a ruler, there could come another kind of existence where those aren't necessarily looked upon as, you know, if you look at some of the communist regimes, some of the communist dictatorships, they aren't universally, the dictator has a right to kill anybody he wants. And he tells them what to do, he puts them in jail, he takes away their freedom and their rights. Uh, so it, those those values only go so far as that when the dictator keeps his power. But anyway, let, I'm, I'm roving I'm ro- uh, here uh, a little bit in our, in our thought patterns. We're looking at the Gospel of John, and I ask you the question, why do we think today, here in the, the year 2020, why do we think that Jesus uh, of Nazareth so long ago, why, uh, why do we think, wh- what, what argument exists, what uh, how could we be convinced that it's true? Jesus was genuinely and really, truly that uh, Messiah, that Redeemer. Well, John, John, the Gospel of John, actually he is one that uh, he deals with that very clearly, especially the theological aspects. John is probably, in some ways, I'm going to get in trouble for saying this a little bit. He's some ways the more the more theological. Of the gospel writers, Matthew, Mark, and Luke, they had their perspective. Each of them knew who Jesus was, the Son of the Living God, and so on. Uh, but their their focus, in terms of their book, was slightly different. John is very theological. He starts off the very book in the beginning, in, in the beginning of time was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. The same was in the beginning with God. All things were made by Him. Without Him was not anything made that was made. In Him was life, and the life was the light of men. He got, John goes back and starts with creation, and he says the Son of God was there present at the time of creation. He helped create mankind and the planet, and so and 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 he bring and. Of course, you come to that famous verse in John chapter 1, verse 14. And the Word, he's been talking about this Word, and, and he's talking about Jesus, as we can clearly see right now. The Word became flesh, he says, and dwelt among us, and we beheld his glory, the glory as of the only begotten of the Father. Uh, and and so we we see that John is, is he's going to be theological. He's going to relate. Uh, he's going to 
emphasize the relationship between Jesus of Nazareth, this man, and his relationship with the Creator, of, with God the Father. Uh, he's, he's going to uh, bring to us very clearly the concept, uh, very clearly the concept, as, as throughout the rest of the Bible as well, the idea of the, the triune nature of our God, uh, the God of the Bible. Uh, the God of the Bible is not the kind of God you would invent if you could. Uh, in other words, there were, there, were, there were lots of nations around Israel all through the centuries. There were there, Assyria, there was Babylon, there was Egypt in the south, the Edomites, and all of these, uh, the Ammonites, all of these nations, people groups surrounding uh, Israel, north, south, east, and west. And they they were all polytheists. They all they uh, worshipped idols. They worshipped um, multiple gods, polytheists, many gods. And Israel was this one nation set there very strategically, right in the heart of that part of the world, where where they were the the, the nation. They represented the idea of one God. Hear, O Israel, the Lord your God is one. It's not like every uh, citizen of Israel always believed. Many did not. Many got off into these false religions and idolatries and so on. But they, what characterized them as a people, one of the identifying, defining factors uh, that defined them as a people was their uh, relationship with the one true living God, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. But even there, in that, in that understanding, there was this... There was this little twist. There was this complication that there was God the Father, the God the Son mentioned, and, and, and the Holy Spirit mentioned throughout the Hebrew Scriptures, even in the Tanakh. In other words, the, the, the Trinity, the idea of a triune nature, uh, the plurality nature of the God, was not just purely a New Testament phenomenon. Uh, this, this is right there in the Hebrew Scriptures mentioned uh, many times and over and over. Uh, and so, the, like I said, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob very clearly defined in, in himself, self-defined, as one God. Hear, O Israel, the Lord your God is one. There was one God. And yet, at the same time, there was this understanding that within the Godhead, within the nature of God, there was plurality. There were distinct persons of the Godhead. Uh, and, and, of course, this became formalized. Uh, we saw it uh, clearly presented and taught by Jesus himself uh, in the New Testament. And, and the New Testament picks up the theme and from the Old and then builds on it to, to our understanding that there are three distinct persons in the Godhead. Uh, in, in the... Uh, in the Bible, when it speaks of God the Father, the, uh, 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 at times the, the Father, the, the Son of God, and the, the Spirit of God, the Holy Spirit, when it speaks of any one of these three, they are always spoken of in personal terms. Uh, some people think of the Holy Spirit as an impersonal force, uh, as in you know the Star Wars episodes, the Force be with you. <laughs> Uh, some kind of an impersonal force for goodness or something. Some people think of the Holy Spirit as, as your conscience, the, the little voice that says, don't do that, and so on. And, um, but 
in, in the scriptures, the fa- as much the Father, the Son, and the Spirit, neither none of these are ever spoken of in impersonal terms. It, it is not a question of what, it is who is the Holy Spirit. Uh, each of them are always uh, spoken of with personal pronouns. They're, and they are given, each of them, all of the, all of the characteristics of personhood, uh, which we understand it, it, at least minimally to be intellect, emotion, and will. And each, both, uh, each of the, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, each of them uh, exhibit intellect, thought, reason, uh, emotion, their feelings. Uh, the, the Father, we are told in the Scriptures, don't don't grieve the Holy Spirit, uh, the, the, grieve the heart of God. And so we we know that God can be saddened. The, the, can, there's intellect, there's emotion, and there's will. Uh, each of them, God the Father, God the Son, uh, and the Spirit, each of them are attributed these these characteristics of personhood. Uh, the Holy Spirit, for example, guides. Uh, Paul, in, in his missionary journeys, the Holy Spirit prohibited him from going into certain regions and changed his mind about doing this or going here or going there. So the Holy Spirit distributes gifts to the to the believers in the body of Christ. The, uh, he, he exercises will and choice and direction there. So each of these individuals, and yet, okay, we, so we see the idea that there are the three distinct persons in the God of the Bible, well, where's the oneness come in? The oneness, uh, how does that happen? And, and many people uh, are really kind of puzzled and, and kind of overwhelmed with the idea of three in one. And you, some people say you can't understand it. If you try to understand it, you lose your mind. But, you, but if you deny it, you lose your soul. Uh, I, I'm not so sure about that personally. I, 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 I don't think it is so... Um, I don't, I don't think that is necessarily beyond our comprehension and understanding. Now, I don't, I don't know that we can delve into the intimacy and into the depths of the union that exists uh, between the Father, the Son, and the Spirit. I mean, it, there may be so much about that relationship that is, that is shrouded in the eternal uh, that we cannot understand and, and while we're here on planet Earth in time and space. But we do understand the idea of relational harmony and oneness. Uh, there's no doubt about that. We, we, in fact, are personal beings ourselves. As human beings, we are not our bodies and we are not our minds. We are spiritual beings. You, as you listen to this program, wherever you are in your home, your car, wherever it is, you, you, are, a, you are ultimately, essentially, a spiritual being residing within that body with the with the soulish capacity the intellectual the the neurological system of a brain and the uh, emotional system you know the you know the you know the those chemical uh, hormones and so on that work in a, in this ma- this fascinating amazing human body that we inhabit each of us but spirit we are spiritual beings there will come a time when we die that the, the spirit Soapy dollar, the, the, I will separate from the body. We'll have a dead body, and and there, but but we believe that we are spiritual. That the spirit, our that that uh, that ultimate identity of me as an individual, as a person, 
that there's a spiritual being, that we go elsewhere, that we have another existence in the spiritual realm. We move from this physical, temporal realm into a spiritual realm, uh, an eternal realm. Uh, and so the idea is that but we are personal beings. That we are created in God's image. That's why we desire relationship. That's why we... Uh, we long for harmonious, peaceful, loving relationships, whether it's in our marriages, in our friendships, in our workplaces, in our fam- families, our brothers and sisters. Uh, we long for relationship. And the, the reason for that is we are created in God's image. We are a relational being. And at the heart of the Godhead, at the heart of the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, there is relationship. The Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit. Uh, forever eternally wrapped in a perfect, harmonious, oneness relationship of love, of character, of purpose, and design, the intent, what they design and want to do, and, and in action. They act together in perfect harmony and oneness. And we can understand that, uh, that idea of oneness. Now, if you're trying to understand the Trinity on the basis of Water, you know, exists in three forms, liquid, solid, and gaseous, and so on. That may be kind of helpful for a little child who's trying to get the idea, even the concept, uh, but that's not the biblical understanding that leads to a – actually, that leads to a uh, a heresy, a biblical heresy called um, modalism, where, where there's only one God, but he exists in three different forms, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And so just, there's really just only one, but he manifests himself at different times. And, and that, is a, that is an error, a heresy, that, that in other words, there's, they're, they're in essence, uh, there truly is actually only one God, but he just appears in one or a different form or mode or modalism. And that's not the picture of the, of the Bible. The Bible says clearly that each is separately individual for the spirit is not the father the father is not the son the son is not the spirit the son is not the father they are distinct and yet the the one the oneness is a relational harmonious oneness they dwell together in perfect love relationship the love for each other in their character in their intent and purpose and in their action they are one and that it, John chapter 17 the gospel that we're in this is one of the areas that John uh, John speaks to in his gospel in what is called the high priestly prayer, prayer of Jesus. In John chapter 17, Jesus prays to the Father. Uh, and, and by the way, if, if, if there really is only one God and he just takes on different forms, when Jesus is praying to the Father, who is he praying to? That would be the question. Is he like praying to himself? Is uh, this so? We we have an illustration right there before us. But Jesus prays to the Father, and he says he prays for all of the fo- his followers. He prays for the redeemed. He prays for you and me, actually. Uh, if you look in John chapter seventeen, Jesus high priestly prayer. He prays for his disciples and all of those who would follow him and become. Uh, followers of Jesus, through the witness and testimony and the experience of his disciples, which includes you and me. And so uh, Jesus prayed that we would be one, even as he and the Father are one. And he prays that God would bring us, continue the work of redemption 
to bring all of us up into that oneness and harmonious relationship that exists between God the Father and God the Son. And it, it, it very clearly, the, the the design is is that God is calling out a, a from man humanity. God is calling out a people to be brought into that oneness, harmonious relationship with the Father, the Son, and the Spirit. Not that we become God. We'll never be eternal. We'll live, we have eternal life now, but we had a beginning. Uh, we're, we're not going to become God with all the attributes of deity, but we do come into that harmonious relationship, uh, eternal relationship with God, the Father, the Son, and the Spirit. That That's what Jesus clearly points out in John chapter 17. So the idea that 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 uh, that one the, Jesus the God the, the God the Son would take on humanity and become flesh uh, is spoken of the clearly in Scripture and so I was I keep trying to return to my topic why do we think Jesus was God's Son the prophecies and then there was the life he lived the nature was he a liar was he a lunatic he claimed to be God. Which of those is true? Or was he indeed the Lord? We'll come back and discuss that in our final segment. Our discussions on some of the issues that we find in the Gospel of John here on the Bible Live broadcast. Our phone number is 210-340-9585. You can call, get in a word, give us a comment, ask a question, whatever you'd like. 210-340-9585. We'll be right back. This is the Bible Live with Soapy Dollar. Listening to the Bible live with Soapy Dollar. That's the consideration. Who is this Jesus of Nazareth? And why is it that we millions around planet Earth today have have gone to worship, they've prayed, they believe, and truly, we believe truly that there is a creator God, that he did in fact reveal himself to humanity, he has revealed a redemptive plan, and he did carry out that redemptive plan in and through the person of Jesus of Nazareth, who God's eternal Son, who took on flesh and came and lived a perfect life of faith, trust, obedience, submission to the Father, then 
gave his life, took the penalty of our sin upon himself. Uh, The wages of sin is death, and he took that penalty upon himself on our behalf, but conquered death, hell, and the grave. He uh, uh, He was resurrected from the dead. A man came back from the grave. Uh, And that's what we've been discussing today from the Gospel of John in particular, uh, that perspective. But, of course, it's in all four of the Gospel uh, books, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, uh, there is this, the end of his life was death. Chapter 19 of the Gospel of John, Jesus is crucified on a Roman cross. He is buried, and he, on Sunday morning, While it was still dark, Mary Magdalene came to the tomb and found that the stone had been rolled away from the entrance. She ran and found Simon Peter and the other disciple, the one whom Jesus loved. That would be John himself. She said, they have taken the Lord's body out of the tomb, and we don't know where they have put him. And so we begin there, then, this experience of seeing what the question becomes, what happened to the body of this Jewish itinerant preacher in Israel, what happened to his body? He said that he had told earlier his disciples and even his those who opposed him uh, in in that around the Jewish leaders and religious leaders, they were the ones that remembered after Jesus was crucified, they were the ones that remembered that he said he was going to rise from the dead. So they were they were they went to uh, Pontius Pilate and asked you, we need a, a guard, we need a Roman guard put that can keep uh, his disciples. He's not going to raise from the dead. They didn't believe that, but his disciples might try to come steal the body and claim that he raised. And so a Roman guard was put. Uh, a a, a two ton stone was rolled over the entrance. It was sealed with the Roman seal. Uh, that that uh, promised death to anyone who broke the seal. A uh, Roman guard was placed, and the disciples, meanwhile, were running in fear. They were uh, they had run and fled into the darkness uh, on the night he was arrested, and they were running for their lives. These were not courageous men and women of of um, they were not trained soldiers by any stretch. Uh, that was not within their character or within their, within their capability. To overcome the Roman guard and 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 steal the body, that that would have been uh, way be out of character and way beyond their their potential, their possibility. But we can talk about it in just a way. It's, it, it exists as one of the one of the still held on to kind of theories about what happened to that body. But we were discussing why is it we think Jesus was the God's son, this Messiah. And I mentioned, one, the prophecies about the Messiah, what his birth, uh, Bethlehem, star, I mean, his whole, everything, his, his, his parents, uh, the idea that a, a virgin will conceive, I mean, this, the whole idea uh, of that was found the prophecies that were that were fulfilled in the life of Jesus over three hundred that are mentioned in the Hebrew scriptures, and each and every one of them perfectly fulfilled in the life of Jesus of Nazareth. Then you come down to his life itself, uh, and it was C.S. Lewis who came out with the idea of a trilemma. There is a, a logical question you can ask, and you have a logical 
a series of thoughts you can ask yourself uh, about Jesus that can help in this in this regard. Uh, in the first place, as I was pointing out, Jesus did claim to be God. He claimed to be that Messiah. He did it in three different forms. Directly, if you look in, for example, in uh, John chapter 4, Je- John, Jesus is talking to a, a Samaritan woman. And she says, "I know that when the, we know that when the Messiah comes, he'll teach us about these things. And, and Jesus says, I, the one that's speaking to you, I am he. Very clearly, and, and other times, very clearly claims to be, even when he's being accused at his uh, trial, he is, are you the son of God? And his answer very clearly, yes, I am. And he was crucified and, and convicted on that basis that he claimed to be God. Uh, so Jesus directly claimed to be God. Then there were some indirect claims where he he claimed to have a right or a power or an authority that only belonged to God. And there were a number of these. Uh, he claimed to be the Lord of the Sabbath, for example. Um, there's one very clear one when he told a... Um, a sick individual, a man who was uh, limited to his cot, he um, could not walk, uh, and he he was lowered by his friends down into Jesus' presence, and uh, um, the word is not coming to my mind, John. What is what when someone can't move? You know the paralyzed. The paralyzed. I could not think of that word. The paralyzed individual, and uh, he lowered him into Jesus' presence. And the first thing Jesus said to him is, "Your sins are forgiven." And uh, of course, the religious leaders there present said, "Oh, whoa, that you can't do that. Only God can forgive sins." And so here we have. Jesus claiming to be able to forgive sins, which is which is indeed uh, something only God can do. But but Jesus said to them, "Is it easier to say your sins are forgiven, or rise up and walk?" And they, and of course, the answer to that question is rhetorical to some degree in the, in the context there. I don't know if anyone actually answered him, but the obvious answer to that question is. Uh, it's easier to say your sins are forgiven. Why? Because nobody knows if your sins are forgiven or not. You know, But if you say rise up and walk, the person's either going to rise up and walk or he's not going to rise up and walk, and uh, it's very evident. But, so then Jesus said, so that you will know that I, the Son of Man, I do have the right, the authority, the power to forgive sins. I say to you, rise up and walk. And the young man got up out of his bed, out of his cot, and walked, was healed. And so that that would what we what we call an indirect claim, where he claims to have a prerogative, an initiative, an authority, a power that only God has. So there were direct claims, there were indirect claims, and there were dramatized claims, where Jesus raises people from the dead, where he he heals people, he um, uh, he calms the sea. Remember when he's out on the uh, the uh, Galilee Lake, the uh, Lake of Galilee, and his he they caught in a storm, and his his uh, fishermen friends and his disciples who are professional fishermen that have been out on that sea many times, they were certain that they were going to die. They were going to be overwhelmed and drown in that storm. And he, they wake him up from a deep sleep. He lifts his hand and says, peace 
be still. And the wind and the waves obeyed him. Uh, and even the disciples afterwards say, what manner of man is this that even the wind and the waves obey him? And so we have these different ways, many different ways that Jesus clearly claimed and said that he was that Messiah, the long-awaited, promised Redeemer, Savior, King of Israel, the Lamb of God, as John the Baptist called him, who takes away the sin of the world. And so he claimed to be God. Now, there are only two alternatives. Either Jesus was the Son of God incarnate, or he was not. There really isn't another logical alternative. He was the Son of God, or he was not, He, as he said he was. Now, if he claimed, let's go for a moment, that it was not true. Jesus claimed to be the Son of God, the Savior, the Redeemer, the Messiah, but it was not true. Uh, then there are only two possibilities. He knew it, or he didn't know it. Okay, he claimed to be God, but he was not God. He was not the Messiah, the Savior, the Redeemer, and let's say for the moment that he did that that he knew it. He knew he was deceiving uh, others. He knew at the at the very heart, at the very core of all of his claims about himself and all of his preaching and all of his messages and all of his good deeds and so on, uh, that he was the Messiah and so on. At the very core, at the very heart of his message, there was an intentional lie. There was an intentional deception. He deceived people. He was lying intentionally, telling them that he was God's son, the Messiah, the Savior. So at that point, the question becomes, he's not, he's a liar. I don't care whatever else you might say about him, whatever good things or whatever he might have said or done, at the heart and core of his his, uh, claims is an intentional deception, a lie, and he is a liar. Well, is there anything in the character of Jesus of Nazareth? When you read about this man in his ministry, his compassion, his commitment to truth and honesty, his uh, his integrity, everything we see about him, uh, even standing in front of the uh, religious leaders of his time and era, he said, which of you can, can accuse me of any wrongdoing whatsoever? Uh, and and his closest friends uh, and disciples who were Jewish to the core, they knew, and, and yet they themselves came to understand just by being around him, the kind his his compassion, the kind of life that he led, the way he treated people, that that he there was this was the one of a kind individual, that this was and one of them and all of them eventually came to understand that he indeed was. Uh, the living Christ, the true and living God, the son of the true and living God, as Peter said. Uh, even as, uh, remember the one uh, who, Thomas, who was a doubter. When, after his resurrection, Jesus appeared to the disciples. And and uh, Thomas was not there at one of the appearances. But next time, Jesus said, put your hands in my wounds, in my side, in my hands. Uh, and, and Thomas says, my Lord and my God. Jesus didn't say, oh, no, no, Thomas, don't say that. No, no, I'm not God. You know, No, he didn't correct him in any of these occasions, but he said it's the Father who has shown this to you, this truth. So uh, we have this idea of the life that Jesus led. That's one of the reasons as well that we think and understand that, that he indeed was 
the true and living God. He was God incarnate. Someone has said, uh, an old, a friend of mine, Josh McDowell from many years of ministry, uh, once used to proclaim quite often that if Jesus wasn't was not the Son of God, w- without a doubt he deserved an Oscar <laughs> because he did a great job of, of of portraying and acting as if if we could imagine God becoming a human being and living a life as a how would we think he would live? What would he be like? What would he do? What would be his character? And, and of course, Jesus lived that kind of life. And then you come to his resurrection, uh, this this event where a man was dead, uh, and he himself said that he was going to be killed and uh, put into a, uh, buried and dead, and that he was going to come back from the grave. Now, I don't know that his disciples even understood him when Jesus begins to proclaim that to them in the gospel in the gospels in the gospel of John you can read about it on their on their journey back down to uh Jerusalem for his last trip down John chapter 11 uh Jesus begins to tell them I'm going to go I'm going to be convicted I'm going to be killed and I'm going to be buried but on the third day I will rise uh he tells them repeatedly I'm not sure you can't tell from the context if they ever actually got it, if they really actually understood, maybe they thought, what in the world is he talking about? I mean, honestly, folks, you have to realize here is someone talking about I'm going to be killed and then I'm going to come back from the dead. So I can't we can't blame the disciples too awful much. Now, obviously, we hindsight is 100 percent. And of course, it was. In the Bible, it was in the Old Testament. It was clear that the Messiah would suffer, would die, would, and that he would resurrect. He would come back to to life. Uh, and Jesus knew that. He saw it clearly from the scriptures as well. But somehow, the the disciples, the normal guy on the street, kind of, kind of the normal, even the believing Jewish guy on the street, that was that kind. Of, kind of a bald-faced proclamation like that, I'm going to come back from the dead. That was not something that they could handle. And I'm not sure I would have been able to either. I hope I would have been able to. But but we have to remember, folks, we're talking about uh, coming a person rising, a body coming up from the dead. I remember when I was a kid, uh, most of you know a little bit of my story. I, I was a, a little Apache Indian girl on the reservation, got pregnant, um, gave birth to this beautiful, bouncing genius baby boy. She abandoned me at birth, got passed around to – I got picked up by this uh, 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 fortune teller, uh, married five times. She passed me around to 16 families before I was six years old. Then they put me into a home for homeless and delinquent boys up in West Texas. So uh, at age five, I went into uh, – uh, a home for homeless and delinquent boys. Uh, 400 hairy-legged guys uh, riding horses and milking the cows and slopping the hogs and you know, kind of living the, the uh, cowboy life up in West Texas, Cal Farley's Boys Ranch. That's where I was raised. Um, the lady I thought was my mother, Princess Babe Hawk, the fortune teller, she was killed in a, in a car accident when I was eight years old. And the chaplain who had led me to faith in Christ, his name was Wayne Roars, the chaplain and his wife, Mona, they drove this little eight-year-old boy, they drove me to New Mexico so I could attend the, the funeral service of the person I thought was my mother. 
Uh, as it turns out later, I understood that she, I found came to understand that she was not my biological mother. The Apache girl had been. But anyway, they took me to the funeral, and I was just a brand new believer. I'd only trust come to trust Christ about six months before this. As a, I was a little boy, I was eight years old. But I came to understand. I believed in Jesus with all my heart. Jesus was God's son, and I I was a follower of, of the Lord. I was a child of God now, and I was beginning to learn about Him from from the Scriptures. And and so when I went, uh, I remember this is the first funeral I'd ever gone to. And so I went up to the casket. You know when it. Sometime during the funeral, you walk up and you you observe the the body for the last time. And so I went up to the casket, and the chaplain and his wife were with me, and the people there gathered for the funeral of of, uh, Princess Babe Hawk was her name. And uh, I went up to the casket, and under my breath, I said, in the name of Jesus Christ, rise. I little eight-year-old boy, I tried to raise my mom, who I thought to be my mom. I, I tried to raise her from the dead uh, because, I, you know, this, eh, you know, I didn't really understand death. I mean, it's my first exposure and so on, but I just thought Jesus did it, and maybe he, it didn't work. You know, uh, he, she didn't rise from the dead. I imagine uh, I, I didn't have a trauma. It didn't, uh, it didn't, you know, I didn't lose my faith because of it. I just figured, well, you know, God had other things, and he had his own reasons for not doing it. Probably he uh, didn't raise her from the dead, so there wouldn't be 50 heart attacks in the room, <laughs> 50 or more dead people probably that morning. But uh, that was the idea, is that uh, th- this is somebody actually coming out of the grave. And so I, I don't blame the disciples much for not getting it. Uh, and, but, the, but, but the fact is, uh, just a few weeks after he was crucified, and in a very public way in Jerusalem, just a few weeks later, not in some far-off land in some um, city far away in the Roman Empire, but right there in the heart of Jerusalem, uh, the Peter and the disciples, uh, they they had seen the resurrected Jesus. Uh, they they saw him alive. They heard him. They touched him. They ate with him. He worked. He taught them and guided them for forty days after his resurrection. Taught them and prepared them uh, to be able to take this message and told them to wait. For the coming, there was another prophecy in the Hebrew Scriptures that in the time of Messiah, that God in the in the, in the later times, the later days, God is going to pour out His Spirit upon humanity. That God's Spirit, and so Jesus prepared them for that prophecy, that fulfillment, and said, "Stay in Jerusalem until the Holy Spirit comes, and then." When the Spirit comes, you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, to the uttermost parts of the world. You will be my witness because you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you. And so they did. They waited in Jerusalem in a, in a prayer room, in an upper room, probably the room that they had their 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 uh, uh, Passover supper in with Jesus, perhaps that very same upper room that they were in. And we read about it in Acts chapter 2. So... So why do we think that Jesus is God's son? Well, the prophecies fulfilled in his life, the the characteristics of his life itself, that he lived a unique 
human existence, unlike any other human being, even, even any other religious leader. There's no other even religious leader that claimed to be God, that demonstrated uh, clearly these attributes, these character, these capabilities uh, of God. There's no other one that did. And, and then his life. And then we come to his resurrection. What happened to the body? Now, I don't have time. We don't have time to go through it. But you, if you want to, there have been a number of people who have asked the question and have tried to write a book uh, that, you know, saying Jesus didn't write. Jesus wasn't the Son of God. Uh, the the author of the book, Ben Hur, was one of those. He who was trying. He started his book trying to disprove the resurrection, disprove that Jesus was God's Son by disproving the resurrection. And he, when he got to looking into it and examining, exploring. Research, he found the only conclusion is that he did rise indeed from the grave. When you take all of the circumstantial evidence, all the different circumstances of Jesus' death, his his crucifixion, his burial, uh, the stone, the guard that was set, the cowardly uh, disciples that were scattered and and spread, uh, discouraged, Uh, you take all of those things put together, the stone and all that, what happened to the body? There is no other theory. There's another theory I remember. One is that the disciples stole the body, which would have been an impossibility. They just couldn't have done it. All the all the Roman guard officials would have had to do, the, the religious leaders, all they would have had to do to kill Christianity in the, in the um, in, at its very beginning would have been to produce that body. That's all they had to do. Uh, and yet it was not done. What happened to the body? And all of these disciples, they went to their death, 11 of them, a martyr's death, proclaiming that he rose from the dead. That, those are the reasons. That's why we believe truly this man, Jesus of Nazareth, was indeed that long-awaited Messiah, Redeemer, Savior, who one who takes away the sin of the world, who enables each of us by faith in him, And maybe it's time for you on Easter Sunday to invite Christ into your life as your Savior and your Lord. You can do that at any time. And he says, I'm standing at the door knocking. If you hear my voice and open the door, he says, I will come in. Why don't you do that today if you don't know him yet? God bless you. See you next Sunday, folks, here on The Bible Life. That's Box 18888, San Antonio, Texas, 78218. Hear the entire Bible every year on The Bible Live, weeknights at 9.30 on this great station. Then join Soapy every Sunday evening at 9 o'clock for fun, inspiration, and valuable prizes on The The Bible Bible Live Live Quiz Show. Visit our website, BibleLive.com. That's BibleLive.com for more information about Soapy and The Bible Live broadcast. You may also order materials at the website and make tax-deductible donations to help minister to our military personnel and broadcast the entire Bible every year to America and the world.